Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I'm your uh, host, Earl Breon, and with us today, I have an outstanding guest, as always, Mr. Bill Treasurer. Bill, thanks for being with us today. Earl, how terrific to be on your show, Responsible Leadership. It's all, I'm all about it. I'm really looking forward to being with you and your listeners. Oh, and and I can't wait. I can't wait to have this conversation. Uh, You know, listeners, one of the things I want you to know about Bill is uh, you've already kind of been introduced to some of his work already way, way, way back in episode 54. uh, uh, Coach John Havlick, as he liked to be called. Uh, We talked about uh, leadership killers back then. And uh, Bill and, and uh, Coach Havlick worked together on that book. Uh, so this would be a good time. And I'll have the link in the show notes to go back and, and review that. Uh, but the other thing I want you to know is Bill founded uh, Giant Leap Consulting way back in 2002 and has worked with thousands of leaders in the U.S. and beyond, including NASA, eBay, Lenovo, UBS Bank, Saks Fifth Avenue, and many more. Now, the book we're going to talk about today is kind of a backdrop for our discussion, uh, is his new book, Leadership, Two Words at a Time, Simple Truths for Leading Complicated People. And I love that because as I talk about a lot on here and a lot of my guests talk about, that is a great way to look at people as as complicated because there's a lot of moving parts, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But this book provides actionable and relevant advice to today's emerging leaders, uh, now, Bill, with with that, with your background and depth of knowledge and depth of experience, I'm really excited to hear how you answer that question that I start off all of my guests with. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that look like to you? It's such a good question, and I think it's so worth considering for any aspiring leader or emerging leader or, frankly, experienced leader. And as I was contemplating the question, four things came to mind. The first is you're committed to self-improvement. You're committed to doing better on yourself, working on yourself, self-exploration, self-analysis, self-work, self-care, that you're first committed to working on yourself. The second thing, that you're ready to get uncomfortable. When you're a leader, you're going to have to do uncomfortable things. You're going to have to get out into your discomfort zone. If nothing else, to learn new things, that takes discomfort. Discomfort is where you find courage when you move into your discomfort zone. So you've got to be ready to get uncomfortable. And sometimes that discomfort is what you're going to bring others, the people that you're leading, in the form of change or stretch goals. So you've got to be willing to get uncomfortable. The third thing, you have to be fully committed to always striving to do the next right thing. 
you're looking at what's in front of you, you've got options, there are always tempting options to let you take your ethics down or drop your integrity, and you have to stay in your integrity and say, I'm going to do the right thing here. The right thing may be the hard thing, but I'm committed to doing the next right thing. And the fourth thing I would say is to be committed to always leaving people and whatever organization you serve better off than you found them, that you are committed to being an an agent of positive change, an agent of positive change. So you're going to take your agency, whatever your contribution, whatever the value that you can add to a situation, to leave it better than you found it. So being committed to self-improvement, one, being ready to get uncomfortable, two, being fully committed to doing the next right thing, four, and five, being committed to leaving people and the organization better off than you found it. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Those are those are some very nice, succinct, actionable items there that you, you kind of put in there. And, and you know, listeners, I mean, again, you, you've already got some solid gold there from this episode, and uh, we just got a lot more coming. I mean, just as we go through this book, uh, you're, you're going to get a lot of great information and I just want to go ahead and, and, uh, you heard the wisdom there. Uh, it should be self-evident that you need to go grab a copy of this book, but I think it's going to do a good job of selling itself through this conversation. But I just want to say thank you for, uh, for, for that response. That was a very well thought out response and, and I loved every second of that. So, so thank you for that. Thank you for the prompt. Thank you for the question. I mean, I, I, I was it was worthwhile for me to consider it. I mean, it's such a central question. I mean, it got me thinking, well, what do I do? What do I think that responsible leadership is? And that, those were the first things that came to mind. Yeah. Well, no, and I, I appreciate that because that was really why I started this. You know, I, I uh, you know, it, it, after getting out of the military and, and going to work in the federal government and then starting working with folks in the private sector, you know, I started hearing uh, a lot of folks use the terms you know, burden of command and responsibility mm. of leadership and all that. And I, I just started asking, you know, the folks, what does that mean to you? And and I found a lot of people didn't know how to answer the question. Mm. And so when I, uh, when I decided to, you know, like everybody decided, Hey, I need to do a podcast, right? Because everybody was doing a podcast. So let me find how many people I can ask that question to and get out there. And so I, I I'm always happy to hear uh, the positive response to, to, great thought leaders being asked that question and, and being, you know, kind of provoked by it. So I love that. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of curious, though, because, you know, I and I, I always love to hear the origin story from from people too. what really got you interested in this field of leadership? Like, what was the thing that got you intrigued by by learning and understanding and being a student of leadership? Yeah. So Earl, I, I'll start with where I am first because it, it gives it might set context to what got me to this place. So where I am today, literally before we talked, I just did a three hour in person workshop with leaders and they're budding emerging leaders in a company that the company is investing in to try to help them along the path, their journey of leadership. I got to work with that group of about 20 people today. Yesterday, I was in another place for a full-day workshop on leadership development, working with emerging leaders who are struggling to do good in their job, and they're new to it because they just transferred from individual contributors to now managing people. So this is what I do on a daily basis. I get to work with leaders, and it's I'm so 
blessed to be able to do it. I've been to all sorts of different countries and worked with thousands of these leaders. And I'm not saying that there's anything special about me. Believe me, there's not. But I just have had this opportunity and through life experiences that took me down this path that I get to hear just like you do. You, you get to have these interviews with leaders and learn interesting things from their own experiences. I take what I learn from those groups and those thousands of leaders. I put them into my books which I sell back to those leaders. So it's a great, it's a great life. It's a great purposeful uh, thing. And I, and now right now, here I am in my office in Asheville, North Carolina, looking outside at the beautiful trees on a beautiful day. It's sixty-seven degrees here today. So that's where I'm starting from. But how did I get here? Because I've been doing this for just short of thirty-five years. I've had my business for twenty, and another fifteen about before that in my career. And my origin story starts with I was leading a small group of people, about a team of about eight people. And one day while I was leading them, I lit into the team for subpar performance. They did a bad job in my in my estimation of what they they missed the standards that we should have been living up to for what we were doing in our jobs. And I really came down heavy and strong and intimidating and using fear and threats and swear words, frankly. And one of the uh, one of the people that was on the team stayed behind, and the other team members who I had just humiliated left out and walked away. And he stayed behind, and he looked at me in the face, and he was older than I was. So he maybe it's that he felt he could get away with this. He said, let me tell you something, Treasurer. That's my last name is Treasurer. He said, if you ever talk to me like that again, I will walk. I will never be mistreated like that by anyone, much less you. You needed to get you need to do a better job of leading because you suck at leading. Wow. Wow. So he says that to me, and my natural response was to get angry. I said, dude, I'm your boss. I'll talk to you any way I want. I'm your boss. It's not the other way around. But I thought about it that night and I was embarrassed. I, I started to get ashamed. And, and I should be yeah. uh, in that situation because I had humiliated them. I had uh, gotten stood up to by this guy, and, and I knew he was right. Gandhi right. said the truth only hurts if it should, and the, the truth hurt. And I realized, Earl, I realized I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't want to admit it, but that's, that's the reality. The only leader I had had before me was a boss or two before that, and then my dad, and I was channeling my dad. And my dad, God rest his soul, was a hothead, was a short fuse. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good qualities about him too, but, but he was definitely a heavy-handed, short fuse, I'm going to tell you what to do kind of father. And that's how I was leading. I had no sense of authentic leadership. I was just mimicking what the heavy-handedness of my father. So I picked up a book on leadership called The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. And it resonated with me. And I started to try some of the things in this leadership book. And I got a little bit better at leading. And I got very interested in the topic of leadership. And then I picked up another book. I think it was called Up the Organization by Robert Townsend. And then I read another book and I came across the term organizational development. And then I decided, I think I want to go into this field and I wanted to study it. So I went to graduate school, did my thesis on leadership. And all the while, not only was I getting better as a leader, I was becoming a better human being 
in the process because that's what leadership does for us. It compels us to our better self that we're fully capable of being if we want to do the work and honor the work and do the hard work and get there. So fast forward to today. I mean, if you, so the origin is somebody basically putting their finger in my face telling me I sucked at leadership, being humiliated because I knew he was right, having that stinging moment, but then deciding to change as a result of it. This year, when I launched my book, Leadership Two Words at a Time, I launched it with the very guy whose first leadership book I read, Ken Blanchard, and it helped the book become a, a bestseller when it came out. So that so that's the origin story. So much there, and and first of all, kudos to that individual for <laughs> for stepping up, right? I mean, because can, can you? I mean, like I, I'm sure you've probably done this mental exercise a million times. But like, can you imagine where you would be right now if that individual hadn't have had the fortitude yeah. to have that conversation with you? Yeah, totally. Steve Willard. <laughs> yeah. That's, that was his name, you know, but he was a couple of years older than I was. And uh, you're right. He, he had the guts that the other people probably thought it, but nobody had the guts to say it because I had created the environment that was not safe for them to say it, but he didn't care. And that was, uh, so by him standing up to tell me something I needed to hear but didn't want to hear, changed the trajectory of my career, right? I mean, it, it put me down a path of even deciding to go to graduate school. And that, and now here I am. I get to have this, you know, pretty, pretty cool life. There's nothing special about me, but I've dedicated my life to this experience of learning about leadership. And I'm still learning. I'm, I'll learn from our phone call today. Oh yeah. Well, no, and that's it. I love the, the learning piece is, is huge there, but I, you know, I, I would sit back and say there is, I think there is something special, right? Because it takes a special person uh, in that instance to, to sit back and have that epiphany that, Hey, you know, this person is right. Uh, right. You know, and that's one of the things that, that, you know, when I'm talking with leaders too, is like, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of folks who have had that moment that you've had, I've had it. Right. And, and luckily there was something in me that had the same response that you did. But unfortunately, a lot of folks have the, the, your initial instinct of, you know, I'm the boss, I'll do what I want. And they stick to that, right. They never get to that, that, that next level. And, and, you know, the other thing is, and this is where I blame Hollywood. And, and again, you know, for, for those of you who haven't listened to it and, and I know my longtime listeners probably get tired of, of me, you know, saying this every few episodes, but you know, I never know when this is the first time somebody's listening. So I'm going to say it again for the, the, the first time listener. This is where I have a real gripe with Hollywood and how they depict military leadership, because a lot of people think of military leadership as exactly what you described of the, the starling and spitting and cussing and yelling and screaming. And, and, you know, that's, that's boot camp. That's drill instructor. That's drill sergeant. There's there's a very purposeful designed atmosphere where that is the quote unquote leadership style in that very specific environment. Mm. Once you get outside of that environment, it doesn't work that way at all. I mean, people try it, but they get met with the type of resistance that that we got pushed back on. And, and mine was a military example. When I got out of boot camp, and, and got into the fleet and I had a little bit of rank and I outranked a couple of people. I fell back on the, on the drill instructor type of leadership. And I started trying to do my best drill instructor act. And I had a, I was a 19 year old uh, Lance corporal and I had a 27 year old private first class who uh, was a lower rank than me by one. 
basically tell me, "Mm -mm, no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and, and we, you know, but that was the person that put me on the trajectory to leadership. So, you know, I love that story. Well, you know, thanks for sharing yours as well. And what I, and I want to reinforce what you said and, you know, and let me acknowledge in front of your readers that I have great respect for military folks uh, that came out of the military and served in the military. So thank you for your service. I have um, you, as you know, John Havlick, I've got some best friends who were uh, folks in the military. One of my friends, Dave Higgins, I call him Higgy. He's probably going to listen to this uh, podcast. Uh, you know, he's pleasure. a lieutenant as well. Uh, John, of course, was in the SEALs. I, and, you know, another b- bunch of folks and people in my family, some of whom served in World War II. Um, and, and I think that you're right. We, Hollywood does it, and then we pick up the stereotype of what we think the military experience has been. And at the same time, there's a lot of very, very contemporary, some of, some of the most important leadership ideas have come out of the military. Um, and I worked, I was really fortunate, Earl, in that my, my very first boss in organizational development is a guy named Dr. Henry L. Thompson. He goes by Dick Thompson. He wrote a book called The Stress Effect, and Dick served in Vietnam two tours behind enemy lines in special forces. And it was and and that was where I realized that, oh, my goodness, that, you know, the stereotypes that I had about leadership were not correct uh, because of my experience of working for Dick, who had a, a, a very contemporary way of leading and a toolkit of leadership approaches um, and still could be a disciplinarian as he would sometimes need to be in the case of leading me. Uh, uh, but, it, but it goes to your point, right? Like we hold these stereotypes and, and it would be good to, uh, to broaden our understanding of the military experience. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, and not even just military. I mean, I think Hollywood in general, right. You know, we, we see the, the corporate tycoon Raider type that <laughs> is all just cutthroat and all about the bottom line. And, you know, sure. sure those, those, you know, the, the Gordon geckos, they exist. Right. Right. I mean, right. We, but, but well, you it's know, also the, the, the other one, Earl on that one. Yeah. There's a Gordon gecko, right. The, the, that's a, a the embellished example, but it is real, right. In, in terms of that Hollywood portraying that the other one is just, you know, frankly, the, the Christmas specials on the, those two channels that are always playing Christmas specials all year long, the, the same storyline every time is the girl falls in love with a New York investment banker who's emotionally unavailable and a real hot shot who's all about making the money. But then she she uh, falls, refalls in love with the guy who works in the fire department in her hometown. These are like stereotypes that we that we hold, uh, you know, about the uh, the tycoon, right? The 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 emotionally stunted uh, emotionally immature, uh, stereotype that we put into these Hollywood productions. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the, that's the bad thing uh, about stereotypes, right? They exist because they're, they're real, right? I mean, they we talked about something. Yeah, yeah. We talked about it in the pre-workup, you know, you're, you're in Asheville. I grew up just across the mountain in, in Northeast Tennessee, a little town called Irwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody once looked at me and said, you know, I just imagine everybody there being hillbillies wearing overalls and corn cob pipes. I'm like, well, I mean, I know those people. Right? Yeah, they, they, they they exist. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is that you you have to move into the experience of whatever the other person is. I think of my own experience. You know, I was a bratty suburban New Yorker who used to wear his Lacoste shirts with his 
collar up in the 80s, right? Like <laughs> right. preppy boy, you know? And then I went to school at West Virginia University. And, and you know, I grew up 18 miles from Manhattan. And now I'm living in West Virginia, in Morgantown, West Virginia, where my, my best friend, Higgy, his dad worked in the steel mill in Weirton, West Virginia. Totally different experience. But I got to tell you something, Earl. Higgy's one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life. High ethics, high integrity, super caring, good, just a solid, good person. But if you had you know, asked me when I was 18, getting ready to go to West Virginia, I would have held those negative stereotypes about quote unquote hillbillies. Yep. hundred percent. I tell you what, I think this is going to be a good spot here to uh, let's, let's go into our commercial break here real quick. And then when we come back, let's, let's dive into leadership two words at a time. How does that sound? That sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right. Fantastic. So listeners, we're going to hit a commercial break here real quick, and we're going to come back on the other side and talk about leadership two words at a time with Bill Treasurer. All right, listeners, welcome back. All right. So Bill, leadership two words at a time, simple truths for leading complicated people. So uh, I, I love the title, but leadership, two words at a time. Come on, it can't be that easy, can it? <laughs> I assure you that it is not. Uh, here's how I landed on that title. What I have found with people who are new to transitioning into a leadership role is that there's a certain honeymoon period. They're excited. They might get a bump in money. They might get a little raise as they get promoted. Uh, they know they're going to be around decision makers, and maybe they're going to start to make some too. And, it, and it's really kind of an exciting time as you move from an individual contributor to now leading your first team. People are reporting to you. Um, but the honeymoon wears off pretty quick, and you get subsumed by the responsibilities. What made you a success before individual production now you feel like you need to know everybody's job. And so you're up in their grill and you start getting burdened by their, their tasks. You start pulling some of their tasks from them. They don't do it the way that you wanted to do it. You're still trying to learn the job. You're not delegating enough. And the honeymoon wears off pretty quick, partly because you feel like you have to know all these things about leadership. We have so many high expectations on leaders. And what I had found in my executive coaching when a coach E came to me and they were all twined up about something, if I could help them narrow what they were twined up about in the fewest amount of words, the fewer the words they use to describe the situation or describe the solution to the situation, the more apt they were to actually do something about it. I'll give you a specific example. I had this guy who I was asked to coach. He was an associate partner at the company that I worked at. He wanted to become a partner, and that's where the that's where the big boys and girls were. If you were a partner, you had made it, and people were going to be reporting to you and looking for your direction, and you probably going to make a lot of money. And he was eager, anxious, even too intensely wanting to become that next level person at the partner level. But the partners were telling me, "This dude's too intense. He wants it too much. He's too excitable. He's too he carries too much and transmits too much anxiety." So in my coaching with him, I said, what do you think you need to display? What is it that you need that they're not seeing in order for you to be them to have confidence that you could be moving into that role? And I said, I want you to give it to me in the fewest amount of words. And he thought for a second and he said, I guess 
that I would have calm, confidence. And it was like, bing, it's exactly what he needed. He needed to be calm and he needed to be confident. He needed to be comfortable in his own skin, not transmitting anxiety. He needed to be composed. He needed to have a reasonability about him. So we started working on calm confidence. He had a lot of other things to be thinking about at, at a leadership level, but that needed to come to preeminence, calm confidence. So he would get ready to go to meetings now, and he would hit me with a text and it would say, CC, I'm getting ready to see the big boys and girls, CC, and that meant I'm carrying my calm confidence. And so he actually started to make the changes. So when I started putting together basically what I consider to be a playbook for new leaders, I thought, what are the essentials? If I could boil them down, the leadership essentials that I think all leaders need to be mindful of, but I give them a two-word header that they could just think of the header and then unpack it in the situations that they might need, it would be helpful to them. Hence the idea of leadership two words at a time. And I love that. It, I mean, it is uh, such a great concept. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of simplification, right? I mean, I think, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there because I think that's where so many people, uh, not just leaders, but just so many people on a daily basis go wrong uh, in all aspects of life is we, we, we try to find ways to overcomplicate things, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it just, it gives us a sense of purpose or a sense of accomplishment that we've overcomplicated something that should be really simple and yay, we won today, right? But I, I love this idea of simplification and, and, you know, for the listeners, and again, I, I highly recommend the book because, you know, what, what Bill just said, like there's, there's, uh, you know, what, 14 chapters officially, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Each one of them has a two word header. It's broken up into three parts. Part one, leading yourself. Part two, leading people. Uh, part three, leading work. I love those, those part breakdowns there. Um, but, but again, I love the, the, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I'm trying to find the simple word for it. But but I love the congruency, I guess, is uh, it's not really a simple word, but it's one that's popping in my head now of, of what I talk about here with the shields of the phalanx, because I, I, I talk about, um, you know, the importance. Well, you come around the gate on chapter one, know thyself, right? Mm. I, I use introspection and improvement, but you mm. know, it's basically the same thing. Know thyself. Uh, why did you start chapter one, know thyself? Yeah. The, and by the way, the, the word that, that I would use, and it's another big word too, right? So congruency is a great word, by the way. I love that word because I think being congruent with your own value system is important. And, it's, and when we lack congruency, when we're out of that congruency, uh, things, things go cattywampus. Um, but the word that I would use is essentialism, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, that the two words in the, and I call it leadership fitness, those three areas, I got to lead myself. I got to lead others and I got to lead work. And if I can do those things with a certain degree of congruency, then I'm going to be fit to lead. And, and I think, and I started, as you know, with it's, you're right. It's the first sort of official chapter. Yes, there was an, a, there was an introduction and a, a preface, but uh, with know thyself, that those two words, first of all, they're Socratic, right? They go back to Socrates a couple of thousand years ago, know thyself. And it's this idea of the examined life. We, we have to, take the time to understand what our, where our passions lie, where our interests lie, where our contributions are, what value we can add in a situation. Why do I want to lead? 
why do I think I have any ingredients in me that other people might follow? I need to have some self-awareness. I'd not, I need to know, and I think we, we pay a lot of emphasis on this in the last bunch of years, this idea of knowing your strengths. I'm with you. We got to know our strengths. That's not enough. As part of knowing thyself, you also have to know about the overuse of your strengths. I call it sunshine and shadows. You got to know the sunshine, but let's acknowledge that when you take that sunshine past a person, past a certain point, it has diminishing returns. So a person might say, you know, my strength is that I'm a critical thinker. I think through problems, problems critically. I'm not a simplifier. I look at a situation, I complexify it because I'm a critical thinker. There's value to that, but beyond a certain point, when all you bring to a situation is criticality, when you take simple situations and actually make them more complex, when people bring you things and you're critical and hypercritical of their work, now your sunshine has started to cast a shadow that's not productive. And so part of knowing yourself is, you know, like a, a, another example of a strength of mine. I, I'm just going to embrace it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to own my strength. I'm pretty good in front of people on my feet. I can speak extemporaneously. I can present material very well. I'm comfortable in front of groups because I've done it thousands of times. But it starts to cast a shadow if it has to, now I've got to steal that sunshine away from everybody else. If I need to make sure that the limelight is always pointing on me, if I have to trump your story with my story, if I have to you know, pull the attention my way, now my sunshine is having diminishing returns. So knowing thyself is examining yourself, knowing your strengths, but also knowing not necessarily your weaknesses, but the overuse of your strengths. Yeah. No, I like that. I love that. That, that is very, very well said. Very well said. And then uh, you follow that right up again with, uh, you know, and what's interesting is is these are usually the first two shields from the failings that I, I start out with. Uh, I say you are always on display, but you say model principles. So mm. let's talk about that for a second. What, yeah, why is model principles important for you? There's a lot of congruency between your work and my work, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's good. Um, I think that, and I think part of the reason there is that congruency is there's certain truths about leadership. There are certain essential truths that regardless of whatever newfangled situation or newfangled leadership theory you want to throw my way, there are simple, there are some ideas about leadership that have worked for thousands of years. And uh, so this idea of being a role model, um, part of it is recognizing the people in your own life that have made a leadership imprint on you that were models for you. Sometimes there are people who opened up doors of opportunity. Sometimes it's just looking at people who, who stayed in their integrity when it would have been so tempting to not do so. Uh, and, and then we, and people who had a value system. There's a lot of people, and I would have counted myself among them years ago, who aren't sure of what their values are. They never really have contemplated it or identified it or codified it. Um, there, because we have a, a little bit of time, uh, I, I love the story of, and I tell it in the book, I've actually told it in another book too, but of Dante's Inferno. I, I took the time to read Dante's Inferno during two dark winters. I read Dante's Inferno and Dante is a guy in a, in the middle of a midlife crisis. It, it literally Dante starts in the middle. He says, I, I was lost in the lonesome woods and I was confused about which way to go. So here's a guy 
who, who knows that the path that he is now on versus the path that he wanted to be on have separated. And he wants to get back to the person he's supposed to become. It's a classic midlife crisis. But to get back to be the person that he wanted to become, he has to be led by Virgil. And that is a mentor in his life who has to take him through nine gates of hell. And outside the gates of hell, there's a group of people. He calls them the shades because they're ghost-like. They're not even fully formed people. And they are constantly being stung by bees. And they're marching behind a banner. So this is interesting. So, so let me ask you, Earl. And, and if you know the actual answer, then don't, don't feel compelled to answer it. But what do you think is on their ba- uh, banner? Uh, honestly, I can't remember. There's nothing on their banner. Mm, These are the people who stood for nothing in life. These are the people who didn't have a value system, that had no backbone, didn't stand for anything, had no principles, would just do whatever the moment would blow them in which direction, were fickle and such. And these were the people that heaven wouldn't have and hell didn't want them. And they were called shades. And that story, I think, is so rich with symbolism and it got me thinking about what are my what what would be on my flag what are the values that i stand for what are the values that i stand against what will i uphold as a person with my own dignity and my own uh integrity and so values to me like courage is a value it's a in fact my you can get to my company by couragebuilding.com because courage i think is the first virtue it makes all the other virtues possible Family, creativity, friendship, quality. Uh, have you thought and, and codified and put some, you have to start there. That's part of the, you know, part of the exploration of knowing thyself is to identify your values. And then the role modeling is, am I living these values in the world today? And, and that piece there, I love that. And thanks for sharing that. It's been a long time since I've read Dante's uh, Inferno there. Uh, so thanks for, for that uh, kind of trip down memory lane a little bit. But but I love that you put live the values you want others to live by, because I think that's the piece that, that, that I like to really kind of push. And But I love the way you put it much better. Because um, I see a lot of leaders, they'll do this during the work hours. Right. Mm. They'll, they'll promote, hey, I want everybody to be, you know, uh, you know, what, whatever the values are. They'll live the values during the work hours. But let's say I want everybody to you know, treat each other with dignity and respect and all that. And then, like, they never stop to think that during the commute home, while they're dodging in and out of traffic and they're flipping people off and cutting people off or they're right. treating people poorly in the grocery store because, right. you know, they're just a stock boy that one of their people in, at work is, is going to see them. Right. And, and you have to if you are treating people terrible outside of work, it it's not OK to treat people OK at work. It, it doesn't work that way. You have mm. to live these things 24 seven or it's not authentic. Right. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, because they you know, you I, I hope that you learned some of this in the in the Marines. And, you know, John Havlick and I wrote a book about it, kind of. It's, you know, the leadership killer. The idea of having a core. You have to have a core of, of what you stand for and consistency in living that core. You could call it cash register honesty, right? Like, okay, I say I'm honest, but when I go to the store and the person accidentally gives me more change back, do I put it in my pocket because they don't know? Or do I actually live the value and uh, of being an honest person 
in the world. So living, having stated values and living them are two different things. You know, it goes back to the congruency piece. And, and we're tempted off of them. We're tempted out of them. But we have to strive on a daily basis to, to live and uphold those values, particularly when you're in a leadership role, because other people are watching and they're picking up cues from you. And it starts to become behavioral permission for them if you drop that integrity. I mean, The Leadership Killer, it was really a book about because John and I had seen all of these leaders implode. They're, they had built their you know, reputations and their whole careers, and they would take them down by doing stupid things like yeah. having an affair or doing fraudulent things on the side or you know, these kind of – you have to scratch your head and say, why? Why would a person who, who made it to that, given knowing what they sacrificed to get where they got – would take down their whole ethical scaffolding for a me moment to satisfy their own sort of, uh, you know, whatever pleasure pleasure of the moment, typically, right? And and lack of uh, of integrity, and they drop their integrity and, their, and demolish their whole careers in the process. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, uh, for time's sake, you know, folks, as always, uh, I want to leave you with enough to kind of wet your whistle. So, you want to go get a copy of the book. And just as a reminder, we are talking about leadership, two words at a time: simple truths for leading complicated people. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and skip quite a bit ahead of, here in the book. We're going to sure. go into part two here. Um, and I'm going to go all the way down because I think this is a good follow up here for for model principles uh, to chapter 10, uh, promote inclusion. Mm. Uh, why why did you feel a, a need to include that piece here in the book? It's you know, you need to get the most out of the people that you are working with on your teams. And it, if you're all thinking exactly alike, alike, there some of you are redundant, right? <laughs> And if you're all thinking alike, there's probably not enough challenge on that team. Diversity is beneficial to a team when each person is bringing their contributions and their, their unique contributions. We're not all doing the same thing. And we think of diversity. I mean, yeah, you can think of it in the classic sense of you know male, female, religion, ethnicity, and, and such. Um, but a lot of times it's diversity of approach. It's diversity of thought, diversity of personality. And those things are realities. And those things can they can either get in the way and cause abrasion in the team, or the leaders can work with the team to help get the most and best out of a team. Years ago, one of the automotive companies uh, would, would take the designers on the team and he would hire them based on the differences of their personality, knowing that it would create some clash, but in that clash, there would be creative energy that would come out of it. They'd get better production in terms of producing you know, groundbreaking kinds of ideas. I also think that we we do too much of hiring people that are that talk like, think like, look like, have the education like us, wherever we came from. And and that insulates a leader, keeping them in their own echo chamber. And that's not healthy for a leader. You know, you've you've learned in the military experience, it doesn't matter what you're ethnic background is, how tall you are, maybe how tall you are. It uh, doesn't matter you know, what religion you are. It doesn't matter um, what, uh, you know, so many of the diversity things. What matters is, are you going to be committed to this team? Are you going to be committed to this mission? Are you going to put your contribution in to what we're doing right now? Do you want to win like I want to win? Do you have my back? Are you going to support me? So I think that promoting inclusion is is 
you know, really important for all those reasons. And with a market right now where it's so hard to get talent, can you really afford to be excluding populations of people because you have some stereotype, you know, built up in your mind about those people? I don't think you can afford to do it as a leader. No, well said. Well said. I 100% agree with that. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead here and then we'll uh, work to close out here. Because um, I, I love the way you put this. Uh, part three, uh, love business. Why should people love business? <laughs> yeah, you know, well, love is a good thing to drive out fear. Love is a way to get courageous. Where, where fear is, if you put some love into it, and you put your courage into it, it's like shining a little light into a dark place and, and uh, suddenly the cockroaches scatter. So love, what I mean by that is that when you get into business early on in your career, it's going to be intimidating. You're get, you, don't, you have to know all these different piece parts of the business, not only just your own job function, but you got to know how the business procures business. You have to understand the business development piece. You have to understand the risk management part of the business. You have to understand contracting. You have to understand procuring materials. You have to understand how senior leaders think. You have to understand the interaction of the board. You have to understand there's so many things that it's really intimidating for a new leader. Even the language, I remember hearing the term EBITDA. Uh, that's a financial term. I had no idea whether I heard the people saying this word that sounded like they were Martians and it made me feel small and intimidated. And what I would say is, hold on, be courageous, take a deep breath. Other people have navigated through this and start leaning into it instead of being repelled by it because you're fearful of it. When you start to move into it and say, how much can I learn here? Who can I go talk about, about this phrase that I don't understand? How can I learn a little bit about the risk appetite of the company? What are the strategic initiatives that are important to the company? How do they connect to our division's work? to our projects work, to my work, and you start to lean into learning more about the business and it will take time. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. But over time, you start to realize, Earl, business is a fantastic, broad, wonderful canvas that I get to splash my curate, uh, creativity on. I get to have triumphant moments, overcoming hardship, working with a creative team of people. I get to learn about leadership. People are investing in me so I can learn. And if I do it right, I can leave people and the organization better off than I found it. That's a loving experience. So learn to love business. Love it. Love it. Well, Bill, I think it's a great uh, a great thing that, that that we got a hard stop here because uh, I think you and I could talk all night about this topic. Um, but I'm just kind of curious: is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on uh, that you want to leave listeners with before we get out of here? I think we we covered some good ground. Maybe we let a little time go by, and we'll do it again sometime because I really enjoy talking to you. I think what you stand for is great. I think you do a great service in offering this podcast for people, and I'm very pleased to be on. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and I'm with you on that. I think uh, we'll have to make that happen. Um, is there uh, a, a good place for folks who want to find out more about you, what you do, uh, the various books that, that you've been a part of, the services you offer? What's a good place for them to go find out more uh, about you and what you do? Well, I certainly can find my books at any online book uh, retailer. Just Google my name and a bunch of stuff will come up. Go to YouTube and put my name, Bill Treasurer, just like the treasurer of a bank. And then uh, you can find me at my website. The easiest way to get to my website is just put in the words couragebuilding.com. And there's all sorts of stuff out there that would be helpful for you. 
All right. Well, Bill, brother, I really appreciate it. I appreciate the kind words. I appreciate what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I love the, the mission, the concept, the whole nine yards. Keep doing it. Keep making a positive impact in the world. And thank you very much for being a great guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. My pleasure, Earl. Thank you. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.